This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so be sure to hit subscribe, share this episode with your team, and let's join Pastor Brandon Stewart for another vital conversation for all of us who lead in the middle. Welcome back to season four of the Leading Second podcast. My name is Andrew Shaw, and I'm one of the team members here at Leading Second. I'm so glad you've joined us. We've got a really special episode in store that we believe is going to revitalize you and your team as you lead from the second chair. And one of the values that we hope to build through this episode and this podcast can be found in our creed, and it says this. I will give every ounce of my life to this work with no regard for credit, positions, or titles. Now, before we jump into the interview, we had a question come in from a listener. We had people reach out to us through Instagram and through Facebook, and we want to encourage you to do the same right now. Brandon took some time to talk with him, so let's take a moment for this question. Hey, we had a question come in from a listener uh, this week, and it was such a good and important question. I needed to call in some experts uh, for this one. So I have a couple of great friends uh, on a call with me today. Uh, first of all is Dylan Ritchie from Coast Life Church in Venice, Florida. Say what's up to everybody. How you doing, guys? Good to be on the call today. Brandon, it's an honor. Hey, love you a lot, man. Really briefly, tell everybody, how do you lead? Like, what, what's your What's your role at your church right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the ministry director at Coast Life Church down in Venice, Florida. I lead under Pastor Jason and Heidi Warman. Um, I like to say that I'm the people guy. So I do a lot of the serve team, a lot of the groups, missions and outreach at our church. So I love being around people, love serving people, love uh, discipling and teaching people. That's great. And what the question we have today is, I'm sure one you deal with every single day. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Also, we have the mighty Sarah Nelson from uh, the Well Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Hey, everybody. Some people say I'm mighty and tiny because I'm small. <laughs> but so, so good to be here. Definitely mighty. Definitely mighty. I love you. Love your family. Love your church. Um, we, I, I love what God is doing in, in your, your church, your city, your, your church is just so counterculture to your city. And I love it. Okay. So we had a listener, uh, write in this question. He said this, we've seen a number of great gifted leaders that seem to have fallen out of love with church or the church. And often we realize the root cause is disconnection or misconceptions, or even maybe their personal relationship with Jesus. So I think this listener is just asking today, like, how do we win these people back? Can we win these people back? Um, and then really, how do we lead through seasons where it just feels like, um, you know, we're in a, a prolonged season of, of these kind of transitions happening. So Sarah, I'm going to start with you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think the greatest leader is the greatest follower of Jesus and his example. And, and I think in order to do that, we have to remain humble. And so going back to conversation helps us not to jump to assumptions. So we don't always know the why. Um, so going into a conversation with this individual is essential to understanding their why. And then also entering the conversation with humility and a pure heart allows them to speak to things that maybe we need to correct in our own leadership. And then it allows us the ability to communicate with them and speak to things that maybe they're walking through. So it's a leadership moment. It's a teacher moment, but it's also a moment where maybe we have some blind spots as well. Yeah, totally. And, and you, you said something when we were talking recently, you, you said this thought conversation leads us past assumption. I think it's so easy to assume when, when people are transitioning, it's so easy to assume why they're leaving or, 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 you know, what's going on. But maybe expand on that. A conversation can actually lead us, lead us past assumption into what's actually going on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, as human beings, even if we're the greatest leaders, assumption can lead us to overthinking or processing through something that doesn't even exist. 
And so I think it's important to start with conversations so that you're not leading your mind or your thoughts to assumption. And then also just making sure that in that conversation that happens, making sure that that you remain uh, at a place where that person can come back to you and really walk through what they're going through. Absolutely. So well said. Uh, Dylan, what's on your mind with this question today? Yeah, I love what Sarah was talking about, where she was talking about, you know, having humility in these conversations, because I think one of the things that's most important is that we have the confidence to admit when we're wrong. Um, I think as the church, a lot of times we're, we're looked to for the answers and there's almost this expectation that we would know everything, um, which I think is great that people are looking to the church in this season for the answers and for direction. Um, but it's okay sometimes to be able to take the seat of humility um, and admit when we're wrong. So when a leader who's, who's poured their heart into the house, uh, maybe it's for a number of years or for a number of seasons, um, maybe just to sit down and have a conversation with them, give, give them the platform to be able to speak to what it is that uh, maybe has them uneasy or, or having, has them feeling uncomfortable. Um, and just being able to have some clarity. I mean, in conversation comes clarity. So having a conversation about what the situation is may bring us to a place of clarity um, and may actually keep us from transition and be able to move forward um, and be able to continue to accomplish the things that we're called to. I have a going theory that that so much of what we are labeling as deconstruction or people walking away from church or all that right now I just have this going theory that 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 so much of that is is actually just coming out of straight church hurt that that someone okay yeah they may have a question with the authority of the bible now or they may have a question with the way we do church now but actually it's genesis point is back further they bumped their head with someone in church life and they couldn't reconcile it you know they bumped their head with a leader and they couldn't reconcile it and so then they pulled the thread of, of, of some of the other bigger issues. But, but I think sometimes it just really starts. I mean, if, if man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart, that means man looks at the outside. Like, like man, like it's often the starting point, I think for, for, um, some of these journeys, you know, that, that, that people end up on, what are you guys doing personally right now, just to stay healthy and in the right frame of mind in a season where it does feel like a lot of people, you know, are, are questioning or, or walking away. What are you guys doing to stay healthy? I think, um, for me personally, it's always checking and checking in with those who are in my life that are trusted to, to point out any blind spots. If I'm not healthy and if I'm not whole, then I can be reactionary. And so it's really important to not enter a conversation or a situation reactionary, but whole and healthy. So good. Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to bring clarity to in this season is, is my roles and my responsibilities as a church leader. Um, talking about this idea of people transitioning out, I'm just reflecting on like, what part of this conversation am I responsible for? And then what part of this conversation am I not responsible for? And one of the things that I've landed on is that I'm not, I don't have, I don't carry the, the burden of responsibility for someone else's decision. Um, in the past, I'm, I'm a gatherer by nature. Um, and I will gather people beyond whether or not they want to be there, beyond their own um, interests or, or what they want to do. Um, and one of the things that I have to realize is that if someone's ready to transition or someone's ready to move on, um, and we've had the conversation and, and we've, we've been able to, to talk about the things, um, and it's just landing at a place or a season where that person does need to move on, I need to be okay with that. And I don't carry the responsibility of that person's decision. That I bless them on their way out. I honor them on their way out. Um, and then I move forward in a healthy way. So Really good. It's really, really good. And, um, I think I would just add on and maybe add like a cherry on top to what you guys are saying here. We have to also remember that Jesus himself went through seasons like this, where, where it felt like people were walking away. I mean, I I've, I've gone back so many times in the last 18 months to the day where Jesus taught on like eating his flesh and drinking his blood, you know, you know, not the most like attractional, sermon Jesus ever probably preached. And, and it says that so many people left him that day that he actually looked at his disciples and he said, are you going to leave too? (laughs) You know? And, and, uh, I think we have to remember, I mean, Jesus had 
exits. He had transitions. You even have the rich young ruler, someone he he invited to be on the team. He said, leave it, follow me. And, you know, the rich young ruler probably would have been like the prized new staff member or something. And he walked away, you know, so if it happened to Jesus, certainly it's going to happen to us. And I think maybe we can just, just, you know, take heart that, that even in these moments, Jesus knows and Jesus understands. Yeah. I think if we remember that our, uh, our part of our job is to disciple and to send people out then then we can remain in a pure heart of knowing that sometimes we will have those Paul and Barnabas moments as well, and that's okay. Today's episode is the start of a new series called Healthy Hustle. Throughout this series, our goal is to break down the dichotomy between hard work and rest. And through this episode, we hope to equip you to run at a sustainable pace in this season. For today's interview, we are thrilled to kick off the series and welcome Troy Maxwell to the podcast. Troy is the senior pastor of Freedom House Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and has a ton of value to add on today's topic. Brandon sits down with Troy Maxwell to talk about emotional health, leading on empty, and how to hustle healthily. Let's jump into the conversation right now. Pastor Troy, so good to be talking with you again today uh, for the podcast. Uh, welcome back. I'm glad to have you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I guess I did okay the first time. So I you got did. Back. You did. Uh, <laughs> what's what's the same? Blessed are the short-winded. They shall be invited back. Amen. Uh, yeah. Amen. But uh, no, we we love you guys so much. We love Freedom House. Um, you know. Don't don't get a chance to talk about it a lot, but I've been uh, on the journey with Freedom House for a number of years now. Um, You've really you know, helped us a lot, honestly, with our team, with with Penny and I, and just navigating all kinds of staff issues. Gosh, you've been you've been a part of our team now for it's been seven years. It's been yeah, it's been something like that. And um, so I love you guys a lot, and. Um, I'm really excited for today's conversation because today's conversation has been uh, one in the making for quite a while. Uh, we're going to talk out of a very personal part of your story and your journey today, um, and one that I've known, you know, for uh, you've shared with me for the last couple of years, and I just couldn't wait uh, for the time when we could help some leaders uh, with this conversation today. You know, we kind of post a a question over each episode. And today I think the question that we want to try to track down for a few minutes is the question of what if my emotional health has me leading on empty. And you wrote a book recently called Panic Room. I couldn't uh, recommend it enough to every leader uh, that's listening today, watching this, you know, you, you talk about your journey through panic attacks and anxiety. So we're just going to go there today and we're going to have that conversation. And I want to thank you, first of all, for just, you know, writing this book and for bringing us on a journey that I believe is going to help so many. I'm just going to set you loose for a minute. Tell us your story and kind of share with us the genesis of the, you know, this part of your journey the last few years dealing with uh, panic attacks, anxiety, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. And thanks for just Having just having this conversation, honestly, because a lot of people shy away from these issues, depression, anxiety, um, panic, yep. suicidal thoughts, all of those are very real issues that we need to talk about, especially in ministry. You know, the difference between ministry and other jobs is you're ministering out of all of who you are. So right, right. You, know, you can go to Bank of America, Wells Fargo or some other and just kind of click on and click off. Yep. But when it comes to ministry, especially those that we're talking to leading in the second chair, um, you don't have that option. Your whole right. your whole life is involved in what you do. So um, I've been pastoring Freedom House now for almost 19 years. Mm. We started our church in 2002. Um, I was bivocational for the first three or four years. So and we were set up and breakdown church, meaning. Right. Um, what Chris Hodges calls us is we are a parachute plant. We, I didn't know anybody in Charlotte. (laughs) I'd never been to Charlotte before. And so they dropped us out of an airplane. (laughs) I don't know if we had the parachute or not, but we hit the ground pretty hard. (laughs) And (laughs) 
Well, and you and you did the setup teardown thing. It was a number of years that you y'all did that. Nine years. So half of our journey was you hauling, mm. um, setting up the whole church in in a cafetorium of elementary school. <laughs> yep. And <clears throat> we didn't have a teaching team, so I preached every weekend. We went from one service to four services. Mm. I was preaching every single weekend. I didn't know what a vacation was, and this is right. really kind of what happened with me is from 2002 to 2006, four years, I went from bivocational to full-time ministry Hmm. and doing everything. And I had three kids and I was married um, and we were set up and breakdown. All of those were all piled in there. And we were looking to buy some land to build a building. And I was doing a little bit of traveling And so I was in Guatemala, I was preaching to rebrand a church Mm. and I'd been to Guatemala several times. We'd done some ministry work there. And in Guatemala, uh, I had an episode that I didn't understand. I got really sick and I couldn't preach. It was on the Sunday morning that I was supposed to actually do the big service to rebrand the church. I didn't know what was going on inside of me. Uh, you know, I dry heaved, all kinds of really weird stuff was going on. And I'm not a sickly person, meaning that I've had a, a kidney stone or two, never really been to the hospital that much. Right. So it wasn't something that was usual for me. I'd never felt this way before. Came back home and we were trying to raise uh, $120,000 to put the down payment on this piece of property. We had you know, had 80,000, we needed 200,000 to purchase this $1.3 million piece of property that we were going to eventually build a building on. The pressure of that, the pressure of church, um, I think it all just hit me all at one time. Hmm. Not to mention, I wasn't taking any time off. Um, I didn't know what a Sabbath was, uh, which means I didn't take any any time during the week because I was working a full-time job, doing ministry, raising leaders, raising staff, Mm. doing all the church. Our church at the time was, you know, four years into it, you know, maybe three, four, 400 people. And uh, I came back that week after Guatemala and had an episode at my house. And I didn't say anything to my wife because I didn't know what was going on, but in essence, everything kind of closed in on me. My heart was racing and it, and it lasted for a good couple of hours. I went to mm. church. We were having two services. We had just come back from a marriage retreat. So I came back from Guatemala, landed, drove to Atlanta. I live in Charlotte. We drove back to Charlotte from Atlanta with a team with 30, you know, couples. And, and here we are having service and I can't even preach, which was very odd for me. And, and so, um, that was the beginning of this understanding come to find out. Uh, and I talk a lot about this in detail in the book uh, is I st- I was having a panic attack and, um, I didn't know what was going on. I ended up going to the doctor. Uh, I, uh, and it really began a journey, Brandon, of realizing that I was leading on empty. I was completely hmm. empty emotionally. Um, I hit the wall and, um, the way I look at it is if you don't take a Sabbath, sometimes God will force one on you. Mm, However, I didn't really listen very well. And that began the journey of trying to figure out how to navigate a pastor who's supposed to be leading a church that's having panic attacks and, you know, taking medication. And then I got off medication and then I started having panic attacks again. And, and then the relationship with my wife and then all the stuff that I went through. The reason I call the book panic room is because a panic room is supposed to be a safe place, a place that you hide from the threat. And what I was doing was hiding emotionally, hiding on the inside from the people that could really help me which was the people that were around me, my wife, my community, my friends, wow. stuff like that. Wow. When it was at its worst, how often were you having panic attacks? You know, I felt like I was on the verge all the time. Wow. When it happened, I had the panic attack. And then the next day, anytime I would be presented with something that was out of the ordinary, whether it was, it happened a lot around preaching. 
And so whenever I would get ready to preach, hmm. you know, I would, I would feel, I would almost feel like you're going to have a panic attack. And if anybody out there has experienced a panic attack, the worst thing about panic attacks is you end up having a panic attack because you think you're going to have a panic attack. So it's almost oh, like this, this snowball effect because you don't want to have it. And then as a result, you end up having it because you don't want to have it so bad, if that makes sense. And so, uh, and I was just, you know, I, I, I had a lot of, um, learning to do during that process. And that's why it took me a while to write the book is because I don't, first of all, I don't think I'm a expert on this at all. I'm not a therapist. I'm a teacher, you know, I'm not a physician, I'm a pastor. And so I had to learn and I learned a lot in studying about your brain, your adrenaline, all those different things. And so, um, and my marriage, you know, it was, it was a challenging, challenging time. Yeah. What was the turning point for you when you finally got, got help in it? So I got on medication originally and I felt okay. They were trying to tweak my medication and stuff like that. But then after about two or three years, I decided I'm okay. I'll get off the medication. That was not a good idea. I was okay for about three or four or five years. Um, probably less than that because it got foggy in the middle there. And I started basically trying to fill the void or basically the ability to exit, you know, cause what you want to do is you don't want to put pressure on yourself because you might have a panic attack. And so I was working so hard at not having anxiety that I was abdicating my role, not realizing that my wife was stepping in and taking over because she realized that I just kind of exited. So I was working out a lot, playing a lot of golf, thinking that I was, still functioning at a high level when in reality I was going down. And then my wife, she kept telling me, look, you need to get this straight, you know, and we would argue and all kinds of other stuff. And finally, after about probably year, you know, 10, 11, something like mm. that, she called a friend of ours, Dr. Robbie Sonderager. And I thought she was calling him in to preach, but really she was calling him in to, to tell me, you know, what are you doing, Troy? You know, you can go at this two ways. You need to deal with this, get back on medication, you know, go, I, I already was doing counseling, continue to do your counseling, or you need to really deal with this in this area, which was a, you know, natural, kind of natural pathway of doing it. And I looked at the natural pathway and I was like, man, that's hard. That's going to be a big <laughs> issue. So I went back to taking medication and they had tweaked, you know, in probably 10 to 12 years, the medication for anxiety, I started taking the medication and it took me a good three or four years to get back to normal. Hmm. And if, you know, if, if people would say I'm normal, <laughs> <laughs> normal's relative in ministry. Come on. <laughs> normal's overrated too. Um, you know, in the book, you use a really cool, uh, I thought, uh, illustration and you talk about this oven, that y'all had and, and how you didn't, you didn't fix the half working oven. What, what, what share that analogy with everyone. Cause I thought it was so, so good. We had this oven and you know, my wife, she's written two cookbooks. So she's legit cooker, right? you know, chef, whatever you want to call it. Oh, I love, I love a good mech, uh, breakfast at the Maxwell's staying in Charlotte. It's good. It's good. Black cook, Southern kick cooking. Um, shout out to Penny Maxwell, Southern living cookbook. So anyway, so we had this oven that it would stop working. And in order to get it to work, you'd have to bang it on the side, you know, like <laughs> hit it on the side. And so I knew exactly how to fix it, but I didn't want to fix it, you know, and we would have basically had to change the inside of the oven. And so, you know, it would start banging, you close the door, hit it, close the door, hit it, close the door, hit it. <laughs> and finally it would start working. And, and so eventually it got to the point where my son-in-law and I got, involved in it and we broke it for real. Like we tried to fix it and it was broke for real. And then the analogy is, is that what I was doing is I was closing it and hitting it, closing it and hitting it. And I wasn't fixing at all. I wasn't dealing with mm. the real issue, the real core issue that was on the inside of me, which in all honesty, I put the church in a position of God mm. and my service to the church became an idol to me to the point where I was not 
allowing myself to take a break, to rest. And I really learned that rest is a weapon. That yep. is a weapon that often leaders, no matter where you are, whether you're uh, sitting in the first chair or the second chair, uh, you, you end up pouring so much of your life into it that you, you kind of get to this place, if you're not careful, where you lose yourself. And I did it with panic attacks. Well, I think a lot of leaders in the middle, if I could maybe speak from that chair for a second, um, maybe not everybody, but I've met enough along the way that have validated this point. I think there's a lot of leaders in the middle that deal with a fear of man, particularly a fear of their pastor or their leader. I can't, I can't disappoint him or her. I can't, um, if, if they really knew, you know, what I was facing. Um, and so because of that, um, I think my, my, my heart, my deep hearts cry on this subject is to get leaders the help they need. Because uh, I think so many either don't feel like they can get help, don't stop to ask for help. So I think right now, like just, just taking a pause on this conversation, like what I'm wondering is the person that's listening, you know, are you like that oven, right? Are you, are you that oven that, you know, just how to hit it on the side, you know, to keep it with some semblance of function, you know, but in reality, you're, you're leading on empty right now. And if, if pastor Troy is describing you right now, um, even if you're listening to this weeks and months later, if he's describing you, like we, we put together this conversation for you today because you need help. It's, it's time to raise your hand, open up your heart, ask God to help you with the fear, man. You might be feeling you know, because this matters and this can have a crippling effect for all of us on our ministry. If we're just hitting the side of the oven, you know, rather than, rather than dealing and replacing the oven or, you know, giving it a true fix. I guess, let me ask you this, Pastor Troy. I want to talk about for a minute, the intersection of ministry life and, and your personal health. Cause there's a lot said on this from both ends of the spectrum. There's a lot said about, um, the need to rest rhythms of renewal. I believe it. Um, but I also am not someone that goes so far as to say that ministry is some sort of an enemy to our personal health or our family. Like we can't have great family life, great personal health and be in ministry. I don't buy that either. And, and, and I'm also a little person that believes in hard work and a little bit of grit, you know, and, and, and elbow grease. And, and so I wrestle through this tension constantly because I feel like I have a good worth work ethic. I feel like I want to work hard, but yet so much is needed in terms of talking about, um, rhythms of renewal, Sabbath rest. Um, I think work and rest can both become idols, I guess, if, if we, if we treat them as such, what would you say about that tension that I'm describing? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I, and this may shock people, but I don't believe that you can live a balanced life. I don't think that's possible. I, I totally agree. Okay? With you. I think what we have to work towards is what I call a blended life. Yes. Okay. And what yes. I mean by that is, is look at your life and blend all of your activities together. I'll give you a perfect example. When I was working in the insurance business and sales, CFP, all that stuff, I would take my kids along with me. Yep. And so what I didn't do is separate out my relationship with my job and my relationship with my kids. I just blended them together. And so mm -hmm. when I took my son on an appointment with me and it gave me kudos on both sides of the, the table. So I would get benefit because I'm spending time with my son, which I love to do. But also when I went to the appointment, they were like, man, this is a dad who loves his family. Right. So he respects this. And so, you know, I think when it comes to ministry, I think we need to look at living and blended. Now, let me speak to the pastor for a second, maybe the pastor who's listening to this. And you got a new church, you got a lot of things going on, there's a lot of busyness. The best thing you can do is respect that uh, that part of your staff, your volunteers, your leaders life that they need a break, they need mm. time off, and you have to respect that. And so what I've learned in the 19 years 
is just, I need that respect on my side, the Sabbath, but I also need to respect those that are working for me. When I give them a day off, I give them a day off and I need to respect that day off and, and then teach them on what it looks like to have a day off, what it, what it feels like to have time off and to really look at filling all of those buckets when it comes to rest, you know, your physical bucket, your spiritual bucket, your emotional bucket, your relational bucket, all those need to be taken care of in the process of that Sabbath. And so um, I think it's two sides of the table, but I think you can live that blended life, you know, incorporate it. That is beautiful, by the way. I've never heard it put quite like that. I love that blended life. And I'll even say, I mean, just from, from our own journey, you know, this spring we had, crisis hit our family had a daughter in the NICU for, you know, for weeks. Um, I went to my pastor one day and I said, I just want you to know where I'm at. I just want you to know how I'm doing. I need a break coming up. Keep in mind, this was heading into the busiest part of my responsibilities for the year. Um, you know, for regarding our team church conference and whatnot, like, like prime time, I was asking for six weeks break. You know, and, um, I just said, I, I'm overwhelmed. Um, I need to bring you in and be a part of the solution. And here's why I'm saying that never one time in that, did I feel my pastor was my adversary. I always felt like he was my advocate and there, but there would have been a day years ago, there would have been a day where I think I would have thought my pastor would be adversarial, totally misplaced fear. Like, like he would have never given me evidence leading up to that but that was me and i mean i guess i'm just trying to say that to maybe set someone free in in this area said i've never found my pastor to be adversarial when i'm a hard worker but i raise my hand and say i just need help right now yeah i think it's you know i think it's important and uh, if i can just real speak to the other side of the table too is I think one of the things that you've done in your in your career with your pastor, because I know your pastor, I know you, is you've never taken advantage of him. Sure. You don't feel the adversarial spirit from him because you've never taken advantage of him in sure. that area. And so I think you have to be careful uh, and just walk that line of not taking advantage of your leader uh, when you when you need it, because you're going to need it. Yep. And, and, and let me just say this too, is I think that one of the most important things you can do is speak up mm. regardless of the expectation or lack thereof from your leader. Mm. And so, because it, then it, it, it's about you and self-care is a very important part of your future. Mm. And I just encourage you, you gotta, you gotta find, uh, a moment to pull them aside, tell them what's going on in your life. Be okay with them saying, well, maybe you need to take a seat for a while. Maybe you need to make some changes in this area, that area and be okay with, and that's what I didn't do. You know, mm-hmm. part of the tagline is, is uh, friends. I forget what the exact thing is on my book, but it says the art of lying. Um, what, what the is art the, of lying, the, Panic, anxiety, and the art of lying to everyone. Yeah. And so <laughs> beautiful. I did that. Yeah. I lied to people, not because I didn't know, I, I, not because I didn't want to tell them, is I didn't know how to tell them. Mm. And so I think just being messy with it all should have been the best thing. And when I talked to my, my pastors, my oversight, they were so understanding, so loving. Um, and that's where you need community. And I talk a lot about that in the book is the, the importance of having people around you, the right people around you. Yep. Okay. So you've led me to what I would consider to be the heart of the conversation I wanted to have with you today. And if someone's listening and your commute's done for the morning and you're going to turn this off, will you actually just push pause and pick this one back up? Like this is where we needed to get to it, in my opinion is right here. Let's talk about hiding for a minute. Because so many of us have personality types that would lead us uh, or, or maybe situation would lead you to hiding if you're not well. I mean, if I if I were to speak up, if people only knew that statistics are staggering of, of, of young people in ministry who are upside down financially, 
addicted to pornography, you know, you know, have different struggles going on in their life, let alone mental health challenges, and just don't feel like they can speak up because of where you started today, what it means for them in ministry. So let me ask you this, just to get us started on this part of the conversation. What was it like to tell your wife that you were struggling? It was very hard. The, the crazy thing is, Brandon, is she knew what was going on. <laughs> wow. So it wasn't like I was telling her something that she didn't know. <laughs> because the people that love you and who are around you, they know, they know when you're, sure. when you're struggling, they know when you're, you're, you're doing, when you're, when you're off, they know when you're hiding. Um, and, and the real good people will jerk the covers off of you and go, why are you hiding? Those are the real sure. good people that you have in your life. You know, the, the friends that'll, they'll pull you, they'll say, Hey, can we have coffee today? And then they just hammer you. You know, those are the ones that you, you just really appreciate. And even though you're cussing at them the whole time, you're like, <laughs> what the heck are you doing? What's wrong with you? Why did you even say this? I, I didn't want to talk about this, but those are the best people in the world. And so it was really difficult to bring it up to my wife. And then honestly, the, to hold, to navigate the whole thing, not to mention, if I can be truthful with you, we're still reeling. We're still having issues with it, you know, because of what I did, the damage that I did to her during the times that I ignored what was going on inside of me. I've heard her talk about it. You know, she shared it at her women's conference a couple of years ago uh, when I was in there and sat in for your session when you were sharing. I, I've heard her talk about, I mean, it, it, it put her gloves up. Yeah. And I don't want to speak for her, I guess, you know. Well, it was painful for her, you know, yeah. because see, the, here's, the, here's, here's the way that I like to describe it. You know, I think in ministry, no matter where you are, there's the hero that you want to be and the human that you are. And what happens is, is there's this diabolical match that happens between the two. You want to be the hero. So you put on this kind of, you know, hero face, the cape, the S, whatever you want to call it, but you're still a human. And, but what we don't understand is in order to be a hero with God, we have to mm -hmm. acknowledge our human frailty. And what I learned out of the whole experience, you know, Paul told us that if we um, share our weaknesses, God's grace will be evident. I experienced grace I had never had before right. because me sharing my weaknesses that I didn't want to share, you know. And so what happened is really I could have always been a hero with my wife if I would have just acknowledged the humanity in me, which was, man, I'm broken right now and I need your help. Maybe that's the exact thing a leader needs to hear because of this. I think, you know, for not doing well, I think everybody knows what they're supposed to do. I mean, it's no, it's no secret. You need to raise your hand you know, and, and you need to say, I need help. I think the answer is something everybody knows. I think doing it is a lot harder. And, you know, there's the, the Bible tells us, you know, Jesus, you know, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, that there's this idea that because of the joy, he could endure the cross. You know, it's almost like you, you just painted for us, I guess, a great finish to that conversation that you can experience grace, you know, grace you didn't even know you needed and deserve, but it's going to come first of all yeah. at a personal price maybe, to lay it maybe, down. Maybe what Brandon, maybe there's somebody listening right now and what we want to do. And this is what this podcast is about is we want to give you permission mm. to say, I need some help. Yes. And you have permission right now yes. just to raise your hand and go, I need to get out of the game for a little while Yes. because I need to work on myself and I need mm. to work on what's going on. And maybe you just need permission to be human, just to be normal, just to be, because the it's so hard trying to cover something, cover up something that you're struggling with on the inside. Everybody can see it. It's so difficult. And so, you know, we just, Brandon and I want to give you permission to do that. You know what it'll do PT is it'll make some people listening better leaders for it. Would you say, would you say you're a better leader now today 
because you walked better. through this. <laughs> sure. That's fair. You know, that's the whole reason I wrote the book. People read the book and it's not a hard read. Honestly, it's not like some, uh, super hard, big word deal. Honestly, I think the whole reason God had me write the book. Um, and you know, what's interesting is, uh, I realized, and you probably, you were there. I know you were there when this happened. I was at ILM, which is Integrity Leadership Ministries, something that we participate in. And you, I don't know if you remember this, but I got invited to do a seven on seven. And at this particular one, there were like four people sitting in this table in front of me who were my heroes. And, you know, when you do, when you get invited to do something like that, you want to write your best message. <laughs> Like you want to wax eloquent, you want to do something that you're really good at. And God said, I want you to share on your panic attacks. I'm like, no, I don't want to share about my panic attacks. Mm. But the thing that happened is as a result of that, all these people, including three out of the four that were sitting at that table said, I want to talk to you about this. So I said all that to say, part of the reason why I wrote this book, I believe is for you to read a story of a guy who has, you know, 19 years of ministry, um, pretty decent church in Charlotte, and he's messed up mm. and he made it through this, mm. which means you can too. Mm. Beautiful. God, if God will do it in my life, he'll do it in your life. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. It's beautiful. You read this book and I'm, you know, look, I don't make any money from the book. It all goes to missions. It all goes to help people. And so buy the book, read it and go, oh my gosh, Troy Maxwell is jacked up. I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely not as screwed up as Troy Maxwell. I can do this. And so. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Man, we, we all probably need to realize that sometimes we're, we're, we're not alone in our, in our pitifulness. <laughs> Hey, if someone is listening to this today, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and they see concerning behavior in their spouse. What should they do? I think they, I think the best thing you can do is try to have a conversation with them. See how that goes. If it doesn't go well, then get somebody else that's close to both of you, get them involved. And so, so if you're, if you're somebody, let's just say, for instance, you know, you're on staff at a church, you're married and you see your spouse dealing with this. The first thing I would do is go talk to your pastor about it. And well, first I would do is talk to them. If they don't respond well to it, then talk to your pastor, get some advice from them. And then maybe take some, somebody that they really respect, which is what my wife does. I really respect Dr. Robbie. So for her, she brought him in. He had a conversation with me. You know, we were sitting in a hotel lobby, you know, and he just, you know, in, in a nice, loving Australian way, backslapped <laughs> me and said, you need to fix this because you don't have, you don't have, you have no idea, idea Troy, the damage that is doing not only to you, but to people around you. And, and he said, I want to help you. And so that was really, really good. So that's what I would recommend. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, Again, going back to our own story really fast, I remember when um, Lindsay had glow, you know, 11 weeks early, preterm baby, one of the first uh, couple nights driving home from the hospital, you know, leaving your baby there, you know, baby in so much pain that they had to give her, you know, morphine just for us to hold her. I mean, it was, it was a very, very scary, traumatic I had been wanting Lindsay to go to counseling for years um, because I had and because I knew what it had, does, had it done for me. And, and by her own admission, she would say she was just great at reframing stuff and, you know, you know, dealing with it on her own. But that was the night where I just saw the weight and the damage that that, you know, 72 hours had done to her. And I was able in the conversation to lead her to the place of, Hey, why don't you call our counselor? And, um, she did it to her credit. She did it. And I will say she walked through that season f like brilliantly. She, I, I have never been so proud of her. 
Um, I have never been so thankful. Our, our marriage oddly just felt so united, you know, and, and so blessed in the middle of a tough season. But I think a lot of it was because, you know, she did what she had to do. A, a new mom carrying what she was carrying. And so I'm just saying like by God's grace, I recognized the moment, you know, by God's grace, I was able to see it and say it. And, and, and maybe that's what a leader listening needs is you just need to ask God for some wisdom on the moment, you know, to, to, to have the right conversations in the right moment where the, the hearer will hear. Yeah. You know, so to speak. you know what, you know what I think too, Brandon is you saw that you moved quickly. I think one of the dangers is if you don't, that right. uh animosity can can grow there uh mm-hmm. bitterness can grow there mm-hmm. um and i know that, that happened with penny and i because mm. first of all i didn't share it with her and um you know and i was defensive you know she, we were going through something brand new she didn't know how to bring it to me i didn't want i didn't want to respond like mm. everything's all right everything's all right and it wasn't all right <laughs> right and and so it just created more and more distance that in the, in the long run has to be repaired, you know, and it's hard. Okay. So landing the plane here, what do rhythms of renewal and rhythms of rest look like for you now? Like how are, how is pastor Troy staying healthy now? So I take a day off every week. Mondays are my day off. It's, it's religious. My staff don't call me on Monday unless you're, on fire, the building's on fire. <laughs> and even then it's questionable. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, uh, basically what I do is I try to have a rhythm. All right. Yeah. So I call it the seven, seven and seven rhythm. So every seven days I have a Sabbath and for me, I preach a lot. So every seven weeks I have a weekend off. What I mean mm. by that is I don't preach on a weekend. It's not set in stone, but that's pretty much the rhythm. Um, I don't set the teaching team schedule. We have a teaching team at my church. So we have, you know, three or four campuses. And so we try to outfit those campuses. I travel around, but I try to take that time off every seven months. I take a vacation. Mm. That's the rhythm that I try to stick with. Mm. And what, it, uh, what do I do? Okay. Well, on Mondays, um, I work out, I rest, I hang out with my wife. We go to lunch together. We go to dinner together. We spend time together on the weekends that I'm off. I try not to preach at another church. I just have the time off of not having to prepare a message, which is nice, you know, for me, uh, it may look different for you. You know, um, you have to find your own rhythm with that. The, the point is, is you have to have time off. You have to take a rest. Okay. No matter what season you're in. And then every seven months we take a vacation. We take some time off. Great. Spend some time together. Chill with the fam. Beautiful. Play golf. I have a lot. I love to play golf, Brandon. I love to work out. I love to eat good food. And so I play, I work hard and I play hard. Beautiful. I, I And I know it. I've been to your, uh, <laughs> I've been to your house gym and you, you are, you are the one that taught me to deadlift. You are, you are. <laughs> thank on, you sir. for that. Thank you for that blessing in my life, Pastor Troy. <laughs> uh, Hey, last question for you. What do you hope leaders will take out of this book when they read it? Um, that they can do it. Hmm. That they can overcome, you know, if it's anxiety, depression, or they can help somebody. Honestly, mm. uh, you know, I read a statistic recently, 70% of pastors want to quit. If they, if they had another option, they'd walk away. That's sad to me. I love what I do. I love what I do. And so, you know, I think that, that this is an yeah. issue that needs to be talked about. And I think uh, my book, my, I hope my book helps you. Beautiful. Make a decision to step out. Beautiful. I, everyone's talking, you know, in this season, a lot about revival, and, you know, what we're believing God to do in his church, you know, in the coming days and years. And I just am of a personal belief that that part of the next great move of God in our nation and in North America is going to be a revival of, of personal health and that that leaders in God's church could be some of the healthiest people on the planet and fr- the most free people on the planet. 
And um, that's my prayer. I think why I wanted to have this conversation today is let's let's usher in a revival of personal health and freedom, you know, and and anyone who's leading on empty, this does not have to be your story. Um, and I, I believe God can rewrite it. Thank you, Pastor Troy, for writing the book. Honor, honor, and, man, to hang out with you. Yeah, and thanks for some time today. We appreciate it. Will you do me a favor? I know we don't do this every time, and I know it's a podcast. People are probably listening to this even months or years later. Will you just pray uh, over over anyone listening right now? Yeah, Father, we just are so grateful for your grace, God. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be alive. We wouldn't be breathing without the grace of God in our life. And Father, I just pray for that person who's listening um, that may be going through panic, anxiety, depression, um, thoughts that uh, of ending their life, God, that they would just stop, that they would hear your voice and get some help, Lord, that they would st- take a step out, uh, whether they need to call somebody right now in this podcast, call somebody, uh, call a friend, call a spouse, call a pastor, call another leader, God, that we, we give them permission right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I, I just ask that you would fill every person Um, I know there's some people that know folks that are dealing with stuff, um, panic, anxiety, depression. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to, and the right words to say to help them. Lord, we, we love you so much. Thank you so much for Brandon and his team, what they're doing with this podcast. Use this episode to change lives and impact people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, my friend. information, check out leadingsecond.com. Follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook.